Hey guys, welcome back to Talk and Shop with Cyber, the e-commerce podcast for merchants serious about growing their brands online. This is our third and final recap episode to get you through your summer holidays. Today, in the season three highlights, we're focusing on getting you set to think about e-commerce beyond 2021. As the e-commerce industry is evolving to just being the norm for commerce, a cookie cutter approach is no longer enough to get ahead. In this highlight from episode one, Future Proofing Beyond 2021, We have Zyber CEO, Leonardo Garcia Curtis, holding down the fort solo, where he will share his insider tips on mastering your e-commerce strategy beyond 2021. Enjoy. Okay, so let's get into these uh, stats. 64% of Kiwis have stated that COVID-19 has impacted their shopping habits. Absolutely. None of us like waiting two hours outside the supermarket to go in, to follow a single line, to go out, to, to remember you forgot something and go back into that line, right? We're not doing that. We're all buying online. Online spend in New Zealand in 2020 was $5.8 billion, which is a big number. And what we do know, that was a growth of 25% from the year previous to that. So huge. We're all jumping online. 53 million online transactions, so that's up 17%. And a 30% rise in the online spend of people of the age of 60 plus. This is huge. Now, I'm not sure about you guys, but my mom used to text me the URL of the page that she was on and say to me, can you buy this? And I'd just be like, mom, you're right there. Add to cart, check out. But she didn't trust the system. She didn't trust e-commerce. Now that's completely changed. She's probably spending more than I do online. And that is something that we have to realize. There's a whole new demographic coming and buying online. Is that the same with you, Emily? Do you find that with your parents? My mom is buying so much useless these days and you know it makes her happy so i'm happy for her but yeah absolutely (laughs) exactly no it's great it's great so it it just shows that other products that you probably thought you couldn't sell online because your demographic wasn't online now they are all right so kiwis who shopped online for the very first time 306,000 people So think about that, 306,000 people were the first time they ever shopped online. Now, to visually see that, what I did at the event is I took a picture of the Michigan Stadium with attendance of 100,000 people, and it looks like a jam-packed stadium, like you're talking Eden Park times two. And then I say, well, that's only 100,000, so you need to times that by three and sprinkle those other 6,000 people. And those were the brand-new eyeballs and wallets coming to your website. And that's just in New Zealand. Think about that on a global scale. How many new eyeballs were looking at your brand and at your website? So the question really to take away is, is your brand aligned with your messaging? Have you got everything in place? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? And, you know, a lot of people was like, no, no, I didn't realize, you know, the impact that COVID has had and how many new eyeballs were actually on my website. So consumer behavior is changing and they have the ability now to price hunt, review and make decisions of buying a product or service faster than ever before. And so what is happening now is consumers are getting smarter uh, and what they want to do when it comes to online shopping. And so us merchants, we need to get smarter as well. So as, as I mentioned before, here we go. Consumers are getting smarter, more picky. They're getting more picky. I think Emily knows this as well because I'm very picky when, you, when doing online shopping. And so now I'm going to dive into some challenges that are happening globally. And if people, if you know a good Hollywood movie, you know there's always an intro, then there's the villain. This is the villain part. I'm going to get into that part. And then we need a solution of how to overcome uh, these uh, clients that are getting picky when buying online. So 30% of customers leave your website for every second they have to wait. We know this. Speed equals sales. Easy. 50%. 57% of shoppers will leave a slow-loading website to purchase from another competitor. I really dislike this statistic because this tells us they were ready to buy and they had some sort of friction before getting to the checkout. What is it on your website that's stopping them? Have you got some ridiculous way of asking for their address three times? Um, do you not have a buy now, pay later system? What is that friction? You need to understand that and remove it. Okay, 50% are less likely to buy if the checkout process takes longer than 30 seconds. I'm one of these people. One-click checkout all the way. 36% of consumers will not buy from your store if free shipping is not offered. Yes, learn to give free shipping. Uh, There's a great meme where it says, uh, I think it's like $25 for the product, $5 for the shipping. No way. Then you say $30 for the product, free shipping. Yeah, I'll take that all day. So just remember that. 
um, great techniques to, to help push sales. Okay, express shipping is essential. Now, I think if you've been listening to this podcast, you've heard us tell stories about a colleague of mine that dropped an iPhone in the toilet, bought it online, got it four hours later. I was like, holy cow, that's becoming more and more reality here in New Zealand. Uh, you would have seen the ads now on TV with NZ Post saying they will do delivery uh, same day between 6 to 9 p.m. in certain cities. And we are working with a lot of merchants to do that. We are uh, you know, trying to get that what we call rapid dispatch of four hours out to uh, the prospect. And to tell you the truth, if they know that you've got a store in the same city that you're both in, they want that right away. Nobody wants to wait now for overnight. I told you they're getting picky. Okay, Auckland increased their online spending by 67% thanks to the buy now, pay later providers. So this is a positive um, statistic, but the people that don't have these sort of buy now, pay later on their website, you are missing out. Aucklanders went nuts, um, and we see it time and time again. It really does work. All right, so the message here is that we need to allow customers to shop the way they want, all right? We all have different ways of shopping. We all have different ways of discovering what we need, but we need to make sure that we have that all in place at the right time in the right place. So that, folks, is called omnichannel. So to allow customers to shop how they want, through the buyer's journey, you must make sure that we set up an omni-channel approach. We need to make sure that uh, your information is at the right place at the right time when someone is searching for a product or service that resolves their issue or question. So we've talked about long tail keywords, you know, how do I clean my sneakers? And then they start realizing they can buy multiple products and sneakers from your website at a later date. Um, when someone is searching for a product or service to resolve the issue or question, I already said that, seamless customer experience, whether the client is shopping online from a mobile device, a laptop, or from a brick and mortar store. Brands that deeply know their customers create a really good omni-channel experience. And what I mean by that is if you're going through a buyer's journey without knowing you're going through a buyer's journey and buy something, then that brand's done a really good job. Example. I'm surfing online on Instagram, I get hit with an ad, I'm like, hey, that's actually really interesting. I click on that, I start learning a little bit about it, maybe I forget, and then they bring me back with some remarketing ads, I show my wife, I buy it, and then a couple of days later it comes in and I look at it and go, why did I buy this? That was a really good experience because I had no hesitations and I went all the way through it. Now, usually I don't say that again, usually I'm like really happy that I bought something, but putting them through that buyer's journey, if they're never hesitating, you've done a really good job of telling the story. So omni-channel, there are a lot of people that will start the journey looking at their phones, later on will move to their desktop, um, and then they might find out that there's a store within their city. They'll go into your store, and while in your store, they'll still have their phone out and looking at what the competitor or your competitor and pricing, and then they'll make a decision right there and then. So that's the importance of the omni-channel. Everything has to tell the story. Everything relates together. Users can find you from so many different avenues now that omni-channel has to be seamless. Um, I think I have some statistics on there. I'm not sure, Emily, can you scroll that down for me there? Beautiful. So almost half, 44% of B2C buyers and 58% of B2B buyers say they will always and often research a product online before going to a physical store. Even when in-store, they will still go online and continue the research. So that's what I was meaning before. So only when a customer has gathered as much information as possible from the variety of sources to support their purchase decision will they then decide to buy from you. So omni-channel, very important. Now, I've mentioned this a couple of times, the buyer's journey. So let's quickly go through it and discuss what there is. There are five steps. There's awareness, there's consideration, there's the decision stage, there's the retention stage, and then there's the advocacy stage. Uh, so let's just quickly go through these. All right, so the, um, so the five stages of the buyer journey. First one is awareness. So is your brand being noticed? Is it in the right place? Now, there's lots of places your brand can be, and I'm not going to go into all of that, but just some data that's coming out. The average person on YouTube spends 40 minutes per day. The average person on Instagram is 28 minutes per day. That's a lot of time. You know, is that where your brand should be? Should be in front of them, in front of them there? So have a good understanding where your marketing dollars are and where you should be putting them. Okay, the next stage, consideration. So how are you displaying content to help the prospect make a decision between you and somebody else? You know, um, something that Zyber does, you know, we make it really easy for you to compare us to a competitor. And so with you, with your products, are you doing that? Uh, can I tell the difference between your small, medium, large product or your product versus a competitor? 
We um, do ebooks, um, which is really cool. We allow people to download ebooks, take away, have a read, you know, go and share it with their partner, and then they can make an informed decision to go, hey, this is the right people for us. So, do you have stuff that you can print out, you know, give it to them at the store, or like I said before, something they can download and review in their own time? Some of you may have a YouTube channel or a podcast. Hey, we do that. We got a podcast, and my, you know, telling you what, we're getting more and more listeners and viewers every week and it's amazing the reach that we've had globally so we know that this channel works for us very well okay my next slide is ar vr so augmented reality for those of you that are listening i've got this beautiful slide and it's showing this 3d model of a couch and what it would look like in someone's bedroom also a lounge you can have a couch in your bedroom if you want i guess um so there's some great stats about AR, VR now that it's been out for a little bit. So 40% of consumers say they would pay more for a product if they could customize it in AR. So if they can, you know, just, hey, I want this color and I want this to go with it, boom, I'll pay more dollars for it. So I will take that on. One billion people worldwide are already using AR, VR. So no longer is it just this taboo thing that nobody wants to talk about. It is legit. Um, yeah, so consumers engaging with AR, VR, have a 2.5% of, two five, sorry, let me say that again. Consumers that are engaging with AR, VR have a 2.5 times greater chance to convert them on your website because they're so much more invested and, you know, playing around with the product. So get into it. Have AR, VR on your website. All right, let's look at the decision stage. So the decision stage is what objections might the consumer have that you can adequately handle right there and then. And we know this with e-commerce, there's a lot of things that we can do. So let's talk about the express shipping that we mentioned before. One of our partners has a big CTA call to action on their website that says, hey, if you're in Auckland, we will be delivering it today between 6 to 9 p.m. And if you click on that CTA, we take you to a whole page explaining how we're going to get it to you between 6 to 9 p.m. Be there. Uh, we'll drop it at the front door or sign for it, whatever. So that was really important. And doing that, we saw a spike in orders. And of course, that helped with conversion rate. Everybody wants free shipping, right? Sometimes we don't want to give it to them. That's fine, but let's do something to educate them. So my next slide shows that a person has added one T-shirt to the Add to Cart and a little pop-up's come up saying, hey, you're about $40 away for free shipping. So give them the option, you know? Maybe you want to give them free shipping right away. Sometimes you don't, but you know, make them work for it. But there it is. It's there if you want it. Cool. Next, a lot of our um, partners do this, and it's great. We're giving them the, the option to buy in multiple ways. So we talked about the uh, buy now, pay later, but also subscription models. If you jump on a subscription model, you'll save 20% each time, each week, each month, however often you're, you're buying this product. So again, allow the user to shop the way they want. Now, I think we've talked about subscriptions in the past, and it's something like 75% of stores are all going to have subscription uh, by 2023 or some crazy stats, so get on that. Live chats. I love live chats. So easy. And it's a great way just to finalize somebody having that final question. Hey, how fast can you get this to me? Hey, do you have a voucher? Is it a coupon code? Here it is. Go for it. Expires in five minutes. Whatever you need to do to get them over the line. Now, if you know me and you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I'm lazy and I've always talked about automation. So I love bots. Bots and live chats, you give them the rules of what they can and can say or how they can help the end user. And then you don't even need a human doing it, you know, lowering the overhead costs if you think that's a good move for your business, if that's how your brand wants to talk to your clients. Uh, but bots on live chat, great tool. Ooh, shop pay on Google. Now, I think, uh, Emily, you wrote a blog post on this. Uh, this is a big deal. It is indeed. What can you tell us? <laughs> Put me on the spot, man. I wrote that. <laughs> uh, no, it basically means that um, for people searching something on Google, whether it's shoes or basketball jersey, the Google shopping results, now you'll be able to shop through ShopPay without even going through to the actual store. Correct. So on the search engine result page and that carousel where that product is there, there's going to be a little buy button. You're going to hit that buy button. If you have ShopPay, it'll send you that six-digit code that automatically can fill in on your phone and bang, that's it. You've checked out. So if I trust the brand, if I trust the store, I, I don't even need to go into your website. And so this relationship with Shopify and Google, it is huge. And this is part of that one-click checkout um, there's no way is this 30 seconds. You know, this is just one click. So uh, I love this relationship with Google. I'm looking forward to see what is going to happen. But again, 
we want to make sure that your website has some sort of tools to get them out the door faster if it be Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, whatever. Um, so yeah, look at ways of streamlining your checkout. People that have like a one-click checkout, you've got a uh, two times greater chance of getting a conversion rate. So yeah, look into it. I've heard, I can't remember if this is true, but I've heard that um, this whole uh, shop pay is also going to come out to Facebook as well. And so you can do like one-click checkouts from Facebook as well using this. So I'm not sure if that's what you've read or wrote about. It's already, uh, isn't it already on Instagram? Good to know. All right, moving on. <laughs> I'm too busy doing these things. Okay. Now, I love this because I presented this at a um, – now, for those of you who are listening, my next slide is a huge image of a Bitcoin. And I had to pause and look at the crowd and said, yeah, I probably shouldn't be talking about this at a bank event, but everyone laughed, and so we had a good chuckle. It's not a fad. Um, it's not a Ponzi scheme. Some of them you may think it is. Maybe some of those weird coins are, but – 3.3 million Australians already have between $5,000 to $10,000 in cryptocurrency sitting in their crypto wallet, and they're using it to buy online. So here's another option to make sure that your e-commerce has the ability to allow them to check out using cryptocurrency. Waldo and I did a episode about crypto, um, so take a you know go back and listen to that one, and just find out about the different types of payment providers that can accept crypto through a checkout store. Um, yeah, huge. I'm quite passionate about crypto. Maybe we'll do another crypto episode, Emily. You loved the last one, didn't you? Well, you know, if, if our listeners are subscribed, we might just have a really exciting cryptocurrency episode coming right up. Oh, well, we can't reveal all that in this no, episode. That's next week. But yes, yes, Very yes, yes. Soon. Looking forward to it. All right. Retention is the next step in the buyer's journey. So great. You got them. Now don't stuff it up. Don't stuff it up. So what do we got to do to look after them? So if you know this, 70% of people open the confirmation email when they first order from you. Like do something with that email. I've seen a lot of you what you've done with the just the standard Shopify email. You haven't done jack. Do something. Put in there another coupon code. Put in there to refer a friend. Tell them about the VIP program you've got and get them to join. Tell them to join your Facebook page. Do something with it. It is prime real estate space. Um, cool. Let's move on. We had Bonjoro on uh, a couple of weeks ago on this podcast. It is a personalized um, tool to send videos when clients make either their first purchase with you or their 10th purchase. But it's a really nice way to send a message to say, hey, we freaking love you. Come back and buy again. And we're seeing some really good results. So retention, think about personalized videos. We've had Gorgeous on, and Gorgeous have sponsored the podcast before. Thank you, Gorgeous. Gorgeous is a great way to automate all your ticketing um, emails that are coming through, anything like where's my order at, how do I return this. They have systems in place with AI that can actually reply back without you having to do anything. Think about that. They say about 40% of the emails can be automated. Think about how much overheads you can save because now you have a staff member that's got 40% more free time to go and do something that's probably something better that you can use them for. Um, so automation and retention go hand in hand there. Segmentation. <sighs> How many of you are using Clavio? That's a whole episode there. You got something you want to say there, Emily, about Clavio? No, I thought you were going to ask me a question <laughs> about it, so I was getting ready. <laughs> so, well, I mean, segmentation, I mean, do you want an email from Rebel Sports to tell you that there's like men's shorts for swimming 50% off? No, probably not. Yeah, and I don't want ones about yoga pants for females at 50% off, but if you're sending me an email that is specific to the interest that you know about me, if it's golf, if it's, you know, jiu-jitsu or how to repair my shoulder, then I'm going to read that email. Uh, so segmentation is really important for you guys to understand where to get those data points, what tools you can use to start segmenting your audience, and we've seen it time and time again that when you do have that nailed down, you've got such a good engagement and they're going to love you for it because, you know, do you have time to read emails? Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do. It really depends on when you send it to me, how catchy that title is, and what is the content inside if I'm going to read it. Whew. All right, that was segmentation. What else we got here? So the last stage is advocacy, which really means when they love you, they'll stand on top of the hill and scream out your brand. They'll tell all their friends to go and buy it from you. And so one thing that we've noticed is loyalty and reward points. I'm going to read you a stat. As many as 84% of consumers say that they're more likely to stick with a brand that offers a loyalty program. This is the one I love. 
and 66% of customers say the ability to earn rewards actually changes their spending behavior. So we're coming into gamification here. But isn't that crazy? They know like, oh, whatever, I'll spend another 20 bucks because I want those extra couple of points. Hey, if that's what people are doing, then I'm all for it. So think of ways that you can really keep people, um, you know, shouting out your brand and staying with you. As I mentioned, we have a VIP group in our shop, uh, sorry, in our Facebook group. We have one that's for many merchants and then we have one that's just for VIPs. They're the ones that are really engaged with us. Um, they're doing very well overseas in New Zealand. And so we have them in a separate group and, you know, we, we might have dinners with them, et cetera. And we do that for a reason. So find ways of what you can do with your clients. A lot of people do have, um, you know, VIP clients that they send out specific products they haven't released yet because they want their feedback and they know they're going to get really good feedback from these clients because they love their products. And once they have that, then they roll it out to everybody. The links to the full episode with Leo will be in the show notes. Our next highlight is from Season 3, Episode 7, NFTs and e-commerce. Are NFTs, or non-fungible tokens, the future of selling online? Digital collectibles, virtual vaults, and augmented reality, the future is here. Despite completely blowing up in the last 6 to 12 months, NFTs aren't actually a new thing. They've been around for years, and David Yu, founder of Vivi, has been around since the very beginning. David launched the NFT app and platform Vivi in January 2021, and it has been reported that in the first six months, Vivi generated more than $40 million in revenue. Not only that, but they've signed deals with Marvel, Disney, Warner Brothers, and many more major names to bring limited edition digital collectibles to their growing app. Enjoy this section from our chat with David. With NFTs, a lot of people that have heard this term being thrown around have only sort of heard it for the last year or so, um, I feel anyway, or maybe I was living under a rock, but I know mm -hmm. that you guys have actually been doing this for a long time. Tell us a bit about how long and some of the challenges you faced early on. Yeah, I mean, the journey started about four and a half years ago, uh, you know, brainstorming, coming up with the conceptual idea. And this industry is uh, still, even today, is still in the scent industry. It really has come to the light around this year. What, March, April, May, you know, all these fabulous artists or what we call, you know, self-created content creator have come out uh, with a new way of marketing their work, you know, and especially in the digital art space. The journey that for us, four and a half years ago, we wanted to build this premium app. So we were very centric in brands, um, you know, working with companies such as Marvel, as you have seen that we have released, we have DC collectibles, uh, we have property from Universal, from Sony, the Ghostbusters, um, and, you know, Firecom, CBS, from Disney. And so I saw on. Disney yeah. there as well. Don't uh, forget you know, that, just a small yeah. brand. Yeah, we, <laughs> we definitely have a lot of, um, yeah, I mean, Disney is the owner of Marvel. Uh, right, yeah, go. so, yeah, so it, it, it was our key to ensure that. Uh, the fandom is built on all these content that if you combine them, there's hundreds of years of characters and thousands, if not tens of thousands of uh, entertainment characters, superheroes. We just really wanted to bring them alive and, and, you know, have another medium. You know, this industry that we're moving, evolving into, it's not really disrupting any industry. It's really just creating a new way for people to collect and to people to enjoy this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so for those listeners out there that haven't sort of caught up about what we're talking about, my understanding is you guys have an app as well. I've actually got the app installed on my phone um, and very rigorous uh, sign-up protocols to ensure security because obviously these are valuable items. And um, what you can do is you can jump in there, you can have a look at a wide array of different collectibles that you can then purchase and actually place inside of a vault um, and, and tell uh, us a little I've bit stepped, about... I've stepped into Waldo's vault. It's empty, yeah. David. He still hasn't bought anything. It's <laughs> terrible, but I know he's going to buy something from your app. That is yeah. true. I was I was showing it off and I was saying to Leo, get up off your chair and come and look at this. And I basically visually placed the, the vault door in the middle of the office, walked into it, and then was sort of walking around looking at my nice empty vault. But um, it's only empty for a little while. 
Yeah, I mean, a, a major part of what we're trying to create is the utility value of these NFT digital collectible that you're purchasing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the fault is one one way for us to really bring in the physical world uh, with this mixed reality, you know, augmented or on the metaphors, you, you could call it, where you could show it off to your friend. I mean, one one thing about having all these toys at home, collectible on your shelf. Uh, the other way is to have it digitally available at any one time. You carry your phone with you, you can show it off. More importantly is that you can share your room, your virtual showroom with your friends who's living in New York or in awesome. London, and they can walk in, they can critique you, they can do a try, they can go, hey, you know, I, I really think, you know, the way you display these um, superhero could be done better. And so utility value is a very key part. Uh, about a week ago, we launched the comic experience, which is mm-hmm. a new way of collecting comics. As we know, you know, um, collecting comic is a passion of mine for number one. We thought about how can we bring that experience into another, you know, level. Number one is as, as you know, most people collect comic book now these days. They they collect them, they get it signed, they put them in the perspective cases, get it yeah. great, but they never actually flip through the pages. And you know, digital comics has already been available. Like many of these e-commerce websites we see, like you can now stream from Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO. Uh, digital comic has been already available in many ways. But owning a digital comic and able to read it and, you know, give you a sense of ownership, uh, we have allowed that. And, you know, we, we really see this e-commerce, uh, especially in the NFT field, it's going to open up and many enterprise out there will, will start to explore these opportunities. Oh, we're, we're early, early stages. Uh, I can see that a lot of opportunities coming up. Since you're in the field, David, I want to ask this question because I feel like I want to do a bit of a hybrid of this virtual world with the real world. And I was explaining to Waldo, like, I wouldn't mind if you came over to my house for dinner outside of lockdown, of course. And when he comes into my house, I would kind of have these NFTs either being displayed through a projector or a flat screen that's up on my wall. And I'd be like, check that one. That one there is one of three, I'm, you know. Only three people in the world have that NFT. So do you see a lot of that happening? Do you think do you think people will do that sort of hybrid, bring the digital into the real world inside their house, um, yeah. as well as your app that you have? Yeah, I mean, so right now you could do that uh, mm-hmm. technically in our app. You could project it out onto your wall, the, yes. the app that we have available already. But where we really embracing this technology and moving forward is other, you know, adoptions, you know. As you know, the wearable device has been hugely hyped and talked about. You know, eventually Apple, Google will be coming out with VR or AR glasses. That will be, you know, super cool lights. You know, you don't have to carry a battery pack with you. You put it on. And what do you want to see apart from your email and messages? You do want to see collectibles. You want to see Mm. things you own that's virtual, um, that's not physically around you. So we, we really see you know, there's going to be many real life use and it, it could change a lot of way of people think and how, you know, how they click and how they purchase and how they perceive, you know, what is artwork and what's physical and digital. It's going to be there. Absolutely. Yeah. I've already seen people working on holographic displays on top of a pillar, um, just like you would see in the digital space where you can actually, you know, have this sitting there and it turns around. It's Amazing. Yeah, a lot of the TVs already do that. You know, you mm. can subscribe to virtual artworks um, and really it's, it's just going to open up and the opportunity of, of this industry is just going to be more open, transparent. There's going to be a lot of new content creator, people who never had a chance to maybe showcase their artwork in a gallery or to be representative. They are representing themselves, expressing themselves through a new medium. 
That's awesome. I mean, we saw this in the e-commerce space with digital native brands, you know, early on adopting this tech and being completely digital first um, and competing with retailers. And they were sort of the, the trendsetters at the time for those brands. And we've seen those brands come into the real world now, you know, with physical retail spaces and actually dominating. Um, so absolutely. As the yeah. new medium becomes available uh -huh. like that. Yeah, I mean, you, you've seen, you know, I, I often see many, many new e-commerce sites come up with entrepreneurs setting up their own skincare, their own backpack, their own design of clothing. Um, this has just really opened up the opportunity. You know, years ago, if you want to get your product to be represented in certain retail chain store, you have to go through the buyers, you have to get selected, you have to make the product, you have to go the Tim of trade. And you go through a whole rifle thing, but now e-commerce, the, uh, you know, the 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 way you set it up is so easy. You can come up with a beautiful product with your own original packaging, and you hit the go button. You know, people can start shopping anywhere. Mm. So you know, digital is just really another. And I, I think most people don't realize how big the e-commerce industry is. If you look at the subscription like Netflix and all these movies, TV stations, you, uh, or, you know, platform video on demand you subscribe to, as well as gaming industry, it's already a multi-billion dollar business. People buying skins, that people buying different um, guns, accessory to go with what they their characters. It's already a huge industry that it just never really get talked about, and now. Imagine you can own that character and able to sell it um, because you, you spend hundreds of hours playing this character. You probably spend thousands of dollars. You go, well, you know, I don't want to just delete that character. I do want to, um, you know, sell it or pass it on to another ownership. And we are starting to see the technology eventually will move towards that, uh, where that whole virtual commerce will be interruptible. That's awesome seeing those yeah. two worlds smashed together. I was going to say, the younger me <clears throat> playing Halo would love to have kept whatever my soldier was with all his armor and everything and show it off when people come over. But somehow I don't get time to play video games anymore. It's, yeah, but anyway, sure. but, <laughs> but David, I was going to ask you something else. Uh, I love talking about money. You were on stuff in the Herald a couple of weeks ago. You did a huge deal with Marvel. Do you want to reveal like kind of what that deal was and some of the numbers that were thrown out? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, we we went live around uh, mid-January this year in 2021. It, it started slow. Uh, obviously, you know, you have zero, almost zero user. We had about 55, 60 uh, better users slowly. And I guess we went very fast and very viral to get traction users um, and right now, today, we're in the hundreds, um, you know, probably 500 plus thousand download. Uh, active user will be slightly less. Um, and that's built on, you know, the, the image, the self-content creation uh, going viral on social media. The actual deal uh, has actually been in the work for a long time. I mean, most mm. people think, you know, a, a company that caliber you know, when we announced, we already pretty much sealed the deal. We were just working on content and when we can release the product. Timing is everything. Uh, we, we want to ensure that our product is that product focus, number one. We didn't want to release a product that is mediocre. Um, and there's a lot of process. Um, we started around January with a lot of our DC characters, you know, our Batman black and white collectible series. Then we move on to some of the Cartoon Network products that we had. And then we had Universal Back to the Future, Sony. Ghost oh, Star. my favorite. Yeah. So we have a lot of other independent artists have come on that some of these artists I've been collecting their work for a number of years or jumped on. And, you know, collectively the revenue for the first lot, um, the 40 million plus reported was coming from, ex you know, without the Marvel. Marvel came in and obviously from now on, you know, the, the revenue is starting to grow. Mm. Uh, we, 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 we're we very excited. I mean, we're very fortunate that we we picked the right timing and product release. And we, we're hoping to grow 
much bigger from here onwards. Yeah, that's awesome. I have a question, a pretty direct question for you in terms yeah. of costing. Ultra rare DeLorean. You just mentioned Back to the Future. I saw that DeLorean there. I saw they're all sold out. What did one of those go for? Uh, I, I haven't actually kept my eye on what the ultra rare go for. They, okay. they, they possibly could be, uh, I think we had them sold at about 100 US or so at the okay. beginning. And maybe they're going for maybe three, 400. Uh, I, I do need to ch check, check the state. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a collector. I don't really just look at the value. Uh, yeah. A collector is really about owning it, right? Um, Sometimes I try to own multiple pieces of everything so I could trade with a, another person. But I don't really um, keep my eye out on the value of these. And I do yeah. understand a lot of these collectibles are going for uh, insane prices. And when I say insane price, I mean, it's not just the VV collectibles. I mean, the NFT digital artwork, mm -hmm. you know, people is going for 69.3 million US mm -hmm. earlier this year. You got CryptoPunk. There's a lot of other, you know, crypto uh, artwork or NFT artwork out there is perform just exceptional. Um, and, and the fans, the communities is getting behind them is just getting bigger and bigger growing. I love that you brought that up and, you know, some of these paintings, as you said, you know, $66 million and, you know, six months prior to that, someone bought it for $600,000. Um, where, where do you see like NFT? Do you see it still going at this pace? Or do you think that 90% of the NFTs that are being sold are just never going to grow in value? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so if you look at a, a, a comic, so, for example, the Marvel number one comic, uh, the 1939, I think back in 1939, they printed about 880,000 copies of these. And um, it, was, it was printed in two different months. The first month was about 80,000. And I think they did a reprint or another run at 800,000. Mm. Or, or could be more. Don't get, um, I, I, need, I might need to check my stat. And they're going for like 10 cents back then. But you know, 2019, one of these uh, nine point maybe three plus uh, Marvel right. number one is going for one point two six million dollars. So the the, the 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 whole thing is not really about NFT. I mean, if you bought a Lamborghini car in in you know one of the classic 1950s, yeah, it's going to be worth a lot more today. And that's what this whole non fungible is about. I mean. It's worth something to me in a certain value, but to another person, another user, collector, it's a different value. So basically, it's going back to, you know, it's one man's trash and another man's, you know, treasure on this. Um, you, you can't really put a real sentimental value. For me, you know, if you can go back to able to purchase 1939 uh, and read that digital comment, it's amazing. I mean, and we we were selling them at $6.99. So you could actually still buy a copy around in the secondary market around that. So someone's probably on a comment, they read it, um, they decided, oh, I, I finished reading it, now I pass it on. And that's all what this whole economy is all about. Yeah. Now, so the art world in, in regards to, you know, maybe you think it's a hyperinflation or but really it's not. I mean, if you look at some of the physical artwork, you know, like Leonardo um, work, it's going for, you know, 60, $100 million. You know, back then he's probably trade that for, you know. A, 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 some wine. It will be, it will be. An ear. <laughs> it will be something uh, ridiculously low. And, yeah. and, and that's just how really the, the non-fungible uh, system work. I mean, the and the fungible system is really the difference between is well, the oil price today is how much a barrel, the gold price is how much a bar or a gram or an ounce, mm -hmm. and how That's much good. how much is the US dollar peg against New Zealand dollar and so on. They yeah. those are very you know stable, uh, non fungible, just really up to what you think uh, is worth. Mm. No, it makes a lot of sense, you know, a dollar is a dollar, you mm. know, but to me, that DeLorean is going to be a lot more than to, you know, a five-year-old kid today. 
just not going to even know what it is. So it makes a lot of sense. That's awesome. Now, e-commerce, you know, online transactions, blockchain, crypto, we see all of this. We see them merging together. What are some of your predictions and or some of the stuff that you've seen how e-commerce and this digital space just absolutely um, you know, come together as one? Yeah. Um, so number one, uh, d-commerce, uh, uh, the e-commerce side of thing, it, it's already changed the way we shop in the physical world and the availability and the you know the time we save in every way. I think moving onwards, there will be a lot of brands out there is looking to uh, monetize in a different way. And they, they, a, a lot of these e-commerce websites could be, might be, having NFT available to purchase a day-to-day collectible product as the young teens adopting these things quite rapidly, as we have seen. Um, you, in, in a different level, there, there could be e-commerce websites out there. I'm pretty sure they are out there accepting uh, different type of digital asset payment. You know, they're accepting, um, in this case, will be crypto payments. It could be Bitcoin, Ethereum. And we may see more and more and adoptions in, in these type of value. So driving e-commerce moving forward, um, we're already seeing now a lot of the e-commerce website, you can view the product in 3D, and I'm pretty sure that the experimental through mobile shopping will be augmented reality. Try your shoes on, see how it fits, the clothing or the hats, the jewelry, the watches. And, you know, you might not want to buy a physical one. They might sell you a digital version of it. Last but not least, 2022 may lead to a different business strategy for you. So we've brought you some highlights from episode eight. Everything you need to know about selling a Shopify business with Thomas Mail. Thomas founded FE International in 2010 and began the business straight out of uni, buying and selling domains. Smail is an authoritative source on e-commerce and in fact established the very category of mergers and acquisitions advisory for online businesses. Over the last decade, Smail has grown FE International into an award-winning global M&A advisor of SaaS, e-commerce and content businesses, completing acquisitions for thousands of founders, owners and acquirers. Let's have a listen to how you can prepare to sell your business. I know a lot of people suddenly wake up and go, oh, I think I want to sell my business today. But I think, Thomas, I've heard you talk about this. It's something that people should be getting prepared, you know, far in advance. So what, what kind of advice should you be telling, you know, especially a lot of uh, Shopify merchants that listen to this podcast? There's a lot of other agency owners that listen to this podcast. So what should they start thinking about if they're wanting to sell? So... A couple of things. Firstly, if you actually practically want to start any sort of sales process, I would say this applies to basically all businesses, but particularly e-commerce businesses um, and particularly agency service-based businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say we also work with a lot of Shopify apps. They tend to be a little bit little bit better. Um, but getting your financials in order is probably the absolute most important thing, which is a prerequisite for even getting an accurate valuation. Um, then my suggestion is speak to us or speak to a firm that sold businesses like yours, get a valuation for free. And you shouldn't really be paying for valuation unless there's, you have a particularly large business or a particularly complicated case. You should really be able to do it for free. Uh, get an idea what your business is worth. As part of that, you'll identify any problems. The M&A firm you work with will say, well, we can't sell your business because of X, Y, Z. Well, that might be really vary, but there's lots of different reasons why a business might be difficult to sell. Um, but the reason getting a valuation is important is it will then help you determine usually one of two things when it comes to like, when should you sell? How should you sell, et cetera? It's like, firstly, what's your business worth now? And then what, what number you want to sell it for is a personal decision. Or it might be driven by investors or some other stakeholders, but it's usually very personal. So if I tell you a business is worth a million and you want 10, chances are you're going to have to go spend some time doing some work to get it (laughs) to be worth 10. But if I tell you a business is worth eight and you want to get to worth 10, you might not have to spend a huge amount of time getting to where you want to be. Um, Other people might have a time-based goal. Um, So at the moment, for example, we have a lot of clients in the US who are selling um, because there's talk about capital gains tax increasing in 2022. 
So a lot of people are like, well, maybe my number's not exactly where I want it to be, but next year I'm going to have to pay double the tax or maybe even more than that. So a lot of people are selling now because they're like, well, let's lock in the game while, while we can. Um, so most people have a financial or time-based goal or combination, but you'll never really know what you need until you go through and get evaluation. So that's why I encourage people to chat to us. Um, and our sales lifecycle is often very many years because people will get evaluation and often we won't hear from them for years and then they'll come back and, and work with us. Um, but yeah, at the very start, get your financials in order, get evaluation, and then that will help you establish what you should be doing. And it will also help determine strategy. Because like I said, given those two examples, again, your million dollar business trying to get to $10 million might be, you might have to drastically change your business or fundamentally change it to get to 10. If you're at eight and you're just trying to get to 10, then you probably don't have to do anything other than run the business a little bit longer, marginally improve it. So the valuation process is important because it does also help determine your strategy. And it might also help change your goals. Maybe, maybe the track you're on is fine. Maybe your business is worth more than you ever could have dreamed. And you're like, well, maybe I know when I, I know, I know when I started my business, I was like, all I want to do is make a million. Well, I lived in the UK, so a million pounds. Mm. Like I just want to be a millionaire. My mm. goal was a million at the time. There were no companies in the industry making a million. So I was convinced if I got to just 1 million, I would just, as in hindsight, maybe quite naive now, but also very privileged. If I get to a million, I'm done. I'll just like quit and I'll go play golf every day, which is my genuine plan. <laughs> yeah, um, well though. Yeah, and then <laughs> kind of got way past that. Um, again, very privileged position to be nice. in, but way past that. And then I kind of reset my goals. I'm like, well, what about, why can't I get to 100 million or yeah. a billion? Like if you, you keep growing, you don't know where that's going to be. Um, mm. But for me, that was somewhat of a, not some, for me, it was less of a financial goal, but more time-based. I'm like, well, I'm 33 now. I started the business when I was 22. I, I, I like what I do. I'm happy to work. So I have no rush to sell and no reason to. I make a nice living. Um, business is growing. It's very fulfilling. Um, but other people might say, well, actually, I'm 65. I've been doing this 20 years. Um, I don't want to sell green pens anymore so i'm going to stop selling them and sell my business yeah yeah absolutely now you mentioned the the valuation and i understand that you guys have a formula and all that but i'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this podcast now and in their heads are like oh i wonder how much my company's worth and i've always said to people look you could take your net profit and depending on the industry kind of like multiply it by two times three times and that kind of you know net profit over a year of course you're you're yearly net profit. And that kind of might give you a number. Is that kind of the quickest, easiest way for someone to try and figure out how much their company might be valued at? I'd say if you want a very broad range, uh, we see multiples at the moment, anywhere from probably three to six, for yeah. average, average, average business. Um, I, I would reiterate and not trying to put the sales pitch on again, but you do need an actual professional to value the business because it could be way less than that, or it could just be most likely if you're below that level, it's not sellable. There's mm. fundamental reasons why it won't sell. Um, but there are also businesses that are worth more. Um, but yeah, as, as a broad range, that's about right. But chances yeah. are your business is not worth 30 times, <laughs> regardless of how much you think it's great. Um, and it's probably not worth one. It's probably somewhere in the, in the middle. Um, but I'd say if you are kind of, curious it's definitely worth getting going through that valuation process there are lots of firms out there like us willing to do it for free no obligation like yes we probably will follow up with you over the next couple of years but we're not mm. going to be turning up at your house or your office like trying to persuade you to sell with paperwork so mm. now, as a business owner i mean yeah as a business owner i would actually recommend to start a relationship with a brokerage firm like yourselves if it, if it isn't you you know because it's always good to have those connections so that you can just check in once a year and just say hey how's it going keep up with what's happening in the industry and it's always good just to know to have a bit of back and forward so that when the time does come um you know you've got that established relationship you know each other well uh, the broker knows your business makes that can make life a lot easier as well so exactly 
So if I'm a, a Kiwi business, I've been very successful. Um, things took off, you know, much better than I thought it would. And I've got a large, um, a large customer base now in the US that we're selling into. And I'm thinking, geez, things are getting a little bit bigger than, you know, what I feel like I ever wanted to handle. Let's, let's see if we can sell this business. What's, what's, what's the first step? And uh, what should people prepare for, shall I say? So I think the first step is establishing how you're going to sell it. Um, I guess your options are try sell it yourself. Um, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I think generally speaking, unless you've done it very many times before, it doesn't really make sense to try sell your business yourself. Um, you're just there's no way you're ever going to have access to the same number of buyers that an M and A firm will. Um, it's very similar to hiring a good lawyer or a good accountant. Hiring a broker, yes, you have to pay us, but we should get you more money than than we you pay us in terms of versus yourself. So I think it is a little bit of a false economy. And we hear stories of people who have sold themselves like, oh, I sold and I saved myself, say, 15% on a million-dollar transaction. It's like, well, yeah, you've sold your business yourself for a million dollars. You don't have to pay us 150 k but we could have sold your business for $1.3 million. So, oh, right. yes, you saved a bit of money, but... Um, so that's where you kind of have to decide what you want to do. I'd say the downside to working with an M&A firm is that you have to follow their process. So if you come to us and be like, here's a process I want to run, run it for me. We won't do that. Like we have our process. This is how we work. If you don't like it, don't work with us. Um, go speak to some other brokers, other M&A firms. Um, everyone has a slightly different process. Um, so I'd say it's important if you are thinking about selling to make sure you are aligned with who you work with, um, like make sure you like them, make sure you like their process, make sure they've sold similar business to yours in the past. Um, mm -hmm. That's like really important. Um, as you know, like Shopify, for example, has lots of nuances with the platform to understand, particularly if you're selling an app or anything like that, partner mm -hmm. regulations are always changing. It can be, some things can be quite strict. Um, if you're working with someone that had no idea. So for example, as you guys probably know, a couple of months ago, Shopify changed their partner fees from 30% down to effectively zero yeah, minus yeah. a small transaction fee. We were in the middle of a, around a $20 million transaction in the Shopify space because we obviously knew what was going on because we're, we're specialists in the industry. Mm. We could immediately adjust the deal terms to reflect the fact that the business was now making more money. Yeah, if you hire cool. a firm, if you hire a firm that knows nothing about the space, they're not going to have a clue because they're not clued in. Similar to you should not hire us to sell a restaurant um, because the only thing I know about restaurants is what I like eating, yeah. or about what wine I want to drink. Mm. I could not tell you anything about how to run a, a restaurant as a business, nor could I tell you what's going on in the industry of restaurants. So yeah. find someone who knows your space. Um, again, it's important to align on valuation. Like if you have a $50,000 business, you can probably sell it yourself. If you have a $5 million business, you should probably hire a small M&A firm like us, a business broker. If you have a $5 billion business, you should definitely be going to a large investment yeah. bank. So part yeah. of it is your choices are somewhat um, dictated by the size of your business Ooh. and the industry you're in. Um, but I would always recommend finding someone who has sold something similar. Um, oh, similar to totally makes sense there, Thomas. Yeah. I was just going to say, now what people are thinking in their mind is, okay, I like the sound of Thomas, but what are your guys, you know, broker broker fees, or how, how do you, how does a broker start getting their their, their cut off a sale? Yep. So, and this goes for I'd say almost everybody in the space. Almost all firms are entirely contingency based, so we're going to get paid if you sell your business. Mm -hmm. um, as you go slightly more up market, you'll start to get um, more retainer driven engagements. Um, so as in that'll be like a small monthly fee plus a success fee um, at the end. Um, I'd say anything that's a deviation of that. So as in fixed fee up front or anything like that, or hourly, I generally suggest avoiding that. Sure. Because um, most established firms don't do that. Um, we generally, in terms of fee structure, we start at, for a million dollar business, we start at 15% of the sales price. And then that tears down depending on the size. So if you have a hundred million dollar business and we're working on a deal like that at the moment, 
Um, I wish I could say we are, but we do not get paid 15% on mm. that deal. Uh, sure. It's significantly lower, but on a million dollar deal, generally 15%. Um, and we don't necessarily have a flat scale you can look at. We do that based on when we value a business, we will also tell you what the the fee will be because yeah. effectively in the form of a proposal, because we want to know kind of what we think of the business, how likely it is to sell, what your expectations are like, how messy the financials are, all of those kind of things. But generally it's a, a sliding scale depending on size. Perfect. Now tell me for, for that percentage, you know, I know you guys are doing the, the valuation. I know you guys can go out and find people that are wanting to buy. Um, I mean, are, are you assisting with negotiations? Are you assisting with, you know, paperwork that the lawyers need to sign? Like how far does the service go? So I would describe this as full service. We do as much as possible. I'd say we micromanage the process to the extent that you shouldn't really need to do anything other than provide us the materials we need up front to put together prospectus, join calls that we would organize with only very qualified buyers, mm-hmm. um, and then answer any questions that we would um, help break down from any qualified buyers via email. But as a seller, you do not have any interaction with buyers directly. We do all of the negotiation on your behalf. Um, in terms of paperwork, it, in the majority of transactions, we do almost everything. So we don't really involve accountants. We don't really involve lawyers. We do as much as we can ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have in-house teams. About a third of our team are qualified accountants. Um, so they do all the accounting. Uh, they have a legal team internally if it's drafting documents. Um, we technically cannot, my disclaimer is we can't technically legally represent you. So you, you should hire independent legal counsel. Um so depending on the complexity of the transaction, um, m- most people opt to bring in um, a lawyer. But as I mentioned at the start, we do as much of that as we can as possible. Um, we generally just want lawyers involved for drafting the actual purchase agreement itself. Um, we will do everything else. They don't have to do any other yeah. um, negotiations. And if you have yeah. a big enough business that is complex enough to need a lawyer as part of the the sales process, you probably already have a lawyer on retainer anyway because you've worked with someone mm-hmm. um, before. So at that stage, um, you might bring them in when we get a little bit later in the process. Um, we will help manage the due diligence process. So we use secure data room solution. Um, we'll manage to make sure that everything the buyer requests is, is reasonable. A lot of buyers will say, here's 500 things I need if I'm going to buy your business. And we'll say, no, 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 no. You can have... 70 of them these 430 are not not relevant so we'll mm-hmm. go through make sure that you're not providing anything that you either don't have to or shouldn't need to or for whatever reason it is Perfect. not acceptable for a deal like that um and then all the way through to transferring the business we make sure it goes through securely we only get paid when you get paid as a seller so it's not like mm-hmm. sign the contract and then see you later we never speak to you again um you have to go through we make sure it's transferred. Um, if there's any future payments in the deal, uh, I wouldn't say we're a collections agency, but we will make sure <laughs> to follow up. We make sure to we make sure you get paid. We make sure we get paid um, as part of that process. Um, but effectively, we are, we are full service, so we do absolutely cool. everything. And to my point about when you shouldn't hire us or a firm like us, that you shouldn't hire us if if you want to be the one negotiating yourself. Like we are very good at negotiating. We've done it a thousand times, We've negotiated billions of dollars in transactions. Um, chances are we're better at negotiating than you. So that's what you pay for. If you do not believe that, or you do not like that statement, then go try it yourself or work with someone else who will let you micromanage. Cause there are plenty yeah. of firms out there who will charge less for like a semi DIY process. It's yeah. I, I, I see the value of everything that you saw uh, said, sorry, I was going to say, I, yeah, as, as business owners are already pretty busy uh, doing whatever they're doing, um, I see the value of what you've said and getting a broker to do all that, uh, you know, hard work. Um, now, you, you, you've talked about, you know, different companies, and I kind of just want to throw this out there. What's kind of hot right now? Like, uh, are you seeing a, a certain industry that a lot of sales are taking place? So I'd say maybe this is a slight tangential answer, but I'd say Shopify apps are super super popular at the moment yeah. and just anything on the Shopify platform in general is really popular. 
years ago, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember this platform, but years ago, like 10 years ago when I started, it was platforms like Volusion. Yeah. I, I don't think I've seen Volusion for about 10 years, but it used to be Volusion. Yeah. Uh, Magento. I mean, yeah. I know Magento still exists today, yeah. particularly with large enterprise stores, but so many people have built businesses around the Shopify platform now. I would say we have a number of buyers who, in the e-commerce space, who would only buy a business based on the Shopify platform. Mm, um, similar to if, if it's a content business, they only want something built on WordPress. It's kind of become homogenous with e-commerce now. Um, yeah. Shopify apps are popular, uh, particularly recently with the recent change in um, partner commissions. I'd say anything in the Shopify ecosystem in, in general. Um, I think one reason for that is Shopify themselves. And I mean, if you know Shopify, you know they're not exactly as their kind of public persona may suggest there's obviously a lot that goes on behind the scenes yeah. um but in general they've done a good job for their partner ecosystem they've invested in it um they run their well they used to see not with pandemic at the moment they had shopify unite their conference they run mm -hmm. regular like partner and whatever it might be events so i'd say people like the shopify space because shopify do invest in their partner ecosystem so whether that's as a store owner or merchant, an app owner, an agency, whatever it might be, there is a lot of demand from buyers because they kind of want to get in on the, the Shopify trend. We hope you enjoyed this episode focused on thinking about your future e-commerce strategy, as well as our previous recaps of seasons one and two. Check out the links in the show notes to catch the full episodes and explore our bank of 50 episodes we have for you to enjoy. We hope you're looking forward to another year of growth as much as we are. And most of all, we can't wait to bring you season four of Talk and Shop in a few weeks. See you later, guys.